Okay, you guys, so we're gonna get started here in a minute. If you have any questions when it comes to that part, could you please just wait until I get the mic to you for recording purposes? Okay, have a great panel, y'all. Thank you. So, uh, good morning, everyone. Couple of things before I introduce my esteemed guests. We're gonna give Steve another couple of minutes to get here, so I'm gonna kill some time. If you guys wanna tweet like questions or comments during the session, um, you can tag at SFMusicTech and use hashtag JukeboxNext. And uh, we'll see if we can't get some uh, questions interspersed or comments interspersed into the panel as we're going. Um, should we start with questions first? Do it a little backwards? That'd be weird, wouldn't it? No, okay. We're gonna do, a, uh, we'll do quick introductions. We'll start down at that end. Give Steve a little bit more time. Uh, Billy Zero, musician, starting at 16, been in bands my whole life, worked at WHFS in the 90s, doing radio programming and promotions, XM Radio from 2000 to 2008. Started the unsigned channel with Pat Denizio, then went to work on a number of channels, ended up at XMU, worked there till 2008 uh, when Sirius merged with us. Went to work for a public radio station and started my own company in 2009, Zero Management and DJ Boy. So I do consulting with brands and bands, musicians, how to get their you know, uh, project to the next level, how to use music and social to get there. Sarah Mertz, I work at Delhi Radio now. I, my background is in booking, management, artist development, record label, business. We basically ended up creating Delhi Radio to solve the problems of all those people. So that's where I'm at now. Uh, Trey Courtney, I run product development for Mood Media. We are the largest purveyor of background music, so you can thank me for all that elevator music over the years. <laughs> Actually, you're going to be fixing that and making it better in the future, right? That is, that is actually my job to try and improve that experience, so hence why I'm here today. So We're based out of Austin, Texas. Steve Jang uh, works for the agency that created Soundtracking, which was one of the first, if not the first, location-based music apps for iOS and Android, and hopefully he'll be here. I heard traffic is miserable, and he's coming from the East Bay, I think, so hopefully he'll be here shortly. I'm Bob Cooney. I'm the Senior Vice President of NSM Music. NSM Music is a 60-year-old jukebox company, and we are in the middle of a pivot working on trying to find new ways of bringing location-based music to, from jukeboxes, which is what it was, to something that's more relevant both socially and technologically. Uh, and, and, and that kind of introduces the panel today and the, and the, the subject matter. What we want to do, we don't want to really spend a lot of time talking about what has gone on in the past, what I'm hoping we can do today is, with your help and the help of the panel, is to start defining what we could do with location-based music. What could it be? And we have four specific questions that we'll pose to the panel. And then uh, after each one, and depending on hopefully we have time, we'll, we'll open it up to suggestions or ideas and crazy whims to the audience. So I want to thank you guys all for coming. Come on in, sit down, just in time. So the first thing we're going to talk about is being out on the town. Uh, you guys have all seen or probably been a part of the, you know, the restaurant or bar experience where there's a bunch of people sitting around the table all looking at their mobile phones rather than you know, talking and interacting with one another. And you know, Social networks do a great job of keeping geographically separated people connected. However, we've all witnessed that scene where there's a table full of friends and relatives and they're ignoring each other in a bar or a restaurant while staring down at their smartphones talking to somebody who's not there. At concerts, people pay top dollar for tickets to watch the concert on a three-inch smartphone because they're busy videotaping the show. And there seems to be an opportunity to create services and experiences that encourage local social interaction. Since music is a common denominator within these venues, what can we do to create more social interaction among people 
at the convergence of place, technology, and music? Uh, you know, the first thing that's popping in my mind is I'd really like to know what you guys are thinking. Because when, when, I'm, when I'm sitting up here talking, uh, I'm thinking, what is everybody else thinking? Because I've been living in this world for a little while. So when you go to a concert, uh, when you go to an event, what is not cool, what is cool, and what can be expounded upon? And I think there's a number of things there. What's not cool? A person in front of you can't see the stage. What's cool? Being able to see stuff that maybe you didn't get to see or other aspects of the show. What's coming? Switch cam and all these other ways of, of incorporating a show, making it social, making it so that there's 50 cameras, and then after the show you can get a really cool edited-down version with 70 different cameras, and you can go do your own take and make sure your camera's in there. So, Billy, I'm going to derail you here because that's the next slide. So okay. what I want to talk about is we're all in a venue. There's 30, 40, 50 people in a venue, and there's a song playing, or maybe somebody selected a song. There are some apps available out there that allow you to control the music within a venue. There's a company called Rockbot, which has one, Play My Song, has some stuff. And so I hear a song playing, and, oh, here he is, the legend. <laughs> perfect time. Well, not quite, but almost perfect time. Steve Jang, this is the audience. Bob Cooney. Nice to meet you. Met. Troy, Sarah, Troy, Troy. Billy. Okay, we're going to ask you the first question since you're late. So <laughs> what we can do to use technology, music, and location to create more social interaction between people within a venue. So we've all seen the, and, and I think Steve's done some of the earliest and best work in, you know, regarding soundtracking. So I think it's really relevant that he's here for this discussion. So my thought is you're at a table, you've got a bunch of other tables, there's a song playing, somebody played a song, I look up on a screen, I see who played that song. Is that, is that a, enough of a thread for someone to pull on to start some sort of social interaction using mobile, using social, using technology, using something to kind of create this dialogue amongst people within a venue versus all of these social networks and technology allowing us, which is fantastic. It allows us to connect to people that are all over the world. I have friends all over the world on social networks. But when I, last night at the party at Yoshi's, I didn't know anybody. Right? So I'm sitting here. So we've all got smartphones. Music's playing. We're all there for a certain reason. Isn't there a way to use technology to allow people, to bring people together within a venue? What can we do to solve that problem? Well, I mean, I look at it from the perspective of, of working with artists as well as being somebody who goes to concerts. And I think for me, where it becomes exciting is when the technology can actually enhance the experience at the concert. So somebody was just showing me a, a new app that kind of sounds silly, but it actually is very cool in practice. I saw a video where the, you know, the lights on everybody's smartphones blink in, you know, in time with the music. So now everyone, instead of just holding their camera up and videoing the show and sending it out to the Facebook ether to show everybody that they've been there and missing half the show or half the song because they're busy posting on Facebook, now they're actually taking this piece of technology and using it to enhance the show experience for everybody around because they're, you know, got this blinking light going on now. Of course, that's only going to work in particular genres, but at least now you're enhancing the experience of the actual concert. I think that's important. I think what is also important is having technology 
uh, enhance the ability of the band to grow. So using, you know, being able to use the smartphone to then have the band connect with their fans. Or even we are talking about the venue to connect with the people that are at the venue. So if if there was a way for the venue to be able to offer a free drink to people who are doing X, Y, or Z, or signing up for the venue mailing list and come get a, you know, come get a shot on the bar, or you know, the tweet at the band and now you get to do a meet and greet after the show, figuring out ways that you can actually take that phone and turn it into a, a physical interaction at the um, actual event. So, Steve, what was your thinking behind soundtracking? I mean, what was the, 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 the impetus for that app, and, and, and where's it gone? Because I think it's really relevant to this discussion. Sure. So the, the main purpose of why we built the app was we just wanted a way to share what we were listening to. And it kept coming up that you were at a particular place, and that, that had some sort of meaning most of the time, not all the time. Um, like if you're in a, in a drugstore, and you're, there's a song on the PA, and and you identify that and, and share that to Twitter and Facebook. I'm, I'm not sure that everyone would be interested that it's a drugstore. But well, most of the, Eric Clapton's cocaine. Yes, <laughs> but then it's a different kind of drugstore. Um, <laughs> oh, no, sorry. So the, uh, so the, uh, the idea is like you're, you know, you're, you're in a different city or you're at the park or you're at a concert venue, you're at a cafe even. That adds context to it. And we felt like plotting where songs were popular and where they were being listened to and by who across a map was just generally interesting. Like, a bunch of us are, like, into cartography and weird, nerdy stuff like that. And so we thought it would be really cool to, like, look at a 3D model of a globe and then be able to sort of surf over the globe and, like, listen to uh, what music was popular in certain countries. And so what we've um, tried to do is not only build a social network for music lovers but also build sort of a location and interest graph around music. It's been interesting. Lately, uh, we've built some uh, uh, models to show kind of uh, what's popular when, and we have this grid. Uh, some of our biggest cities are like New York, Mexico City, Tokyo, and London. And what you'll see is you'll see people um, during rush hour, you'll see ar- along like road and like subway arteries, people getting out and you know earbuds in and, and uh, soundtracking songs. And it's really cool. Like, I wish I could have like a, uh, a third-party camera to see them. Um, I think the I, NSA has that. Yeah, um, I guess I guess we have to wait for the selfie revolution to take over everyone. <laughs> but um, but it's been really interesting data. So we've been starting to take that data, see what's popular, even by day, in a country, in a city, in a neighborhood. And so our users actually enjoy. Um, I don't know if this is a counter to the purpose of the panel, but um, uh, they love tagging venues, and we've got over I think three hundred thousand unique venues that have been. Uh, tag that, but we have over s- over 600,000 neighborhoods that have been tagged. So you have a choice in soundtracking. You can do a venue like this, like Hotel Kabuki, or you can say like Japantown, or you could say San Francisco. Obviously, for privacy reasons, neighborhoods are probably more common and more popular. But it's been really exciting to see the the, the different music personalities of neighborhoods and venues and cities. So are you seeing any unique ways people are using this that you didn't expect? Like, you guys had your own mission for this and your own drivers, but I'm sure people have kind of taken it in new directions. So for us, I think what's exciting is to um, let people kind of discover different uh, music and people. And, and, and that's uh, one of the main thrusts of our services. It's not just discovering new music. It's discovering new, new fans that you can be friends with. So we've had people actually get engaged on our service which was um, kind of surprising. And then people go out to live shows together, 
coming off that virtual because they can see where they're going to shows. So if you're in the same city, you can see what's trending nearby in our app. But we do sort of a geofence around that. And then you'll go to that venue and look for that person because you can see them in sound tracking. So we've had a lot of um, a lot of cool anecdotes around that. That's what I'm talking. I mean, that's the type of thing that I really wanted to yeah. want to hit on is like, how can we use some of this cool stuff? You know, because I do believe that there's a social need to connect, which is why Facebook is so popular. But again, it's it's you know <laughs> that we're losing that one-on-one social connection, and it's being replaced by this distended social connection, which I think is you know interesting and not necessarily. It, it, if it was complimentary, it would be good. But I think the fact that, that a, there's a part of society today and kids and, and a certain generation that are losing social skills um, on a one-on-one basis because 80% of their social interaction comes through a mobile phone. So those are the types of things I'm really interested in, in, in delving into. That's cool. So live music. So every touring musician knows that their bread and butter comes from live shows. They also know that the way to get people to those shows is through online engagement. And once the audience is in the room... They have to be so engaged as to want to come back the next time. So how can location-based technologies help artists and their promotion teams increase concert attendance? And two, how can mobile fuel physical interactions with musicians once at those shows rather than detract from the experience by watching the concert through a three-inch mobile phone? And I want to uh, tee that up, but last night, um, Sarah's uh, has an app called... Delhi Radio. Delhi Radio. And I went on it last night to see what was going on, and I actually found a, a local band that I'd never heard of, and they were playing at the Milk Bar, and if I wasn't um, already three drinks in from Yoshi's, I was absolutely <laughs> intending to go there last night. So I think, and I'm going to check it out again tonight. There's, it took, so it's a great example of, you know, using location-based services to potentially create new fans. I mean, I'm definitely downloading music from this band on iTunes tonight, so I know it works. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Delhi Radio streams music based on tour dates. So you can, it's a free app. You can download it to your phone. You can say, I want to hear what's playing tonight. You can pick a genre if you like, and you hit play. And what it'll actually do is play you a station of all the music playing tonight. So you can all use it to figure out what you're going to see tonight after the uh, conference. <laughs> so, you know, tell us a little bit about how Delhi Radio has, you know, I don't know if you have a case study. Are there ways people are using this that you didn't expect? I mean, and, and where's it going? Where's the... You know, where's, where's the future of location-based services, whether it's Delhi Radio or other things that you see that can drive that interaction between the artist and, and, the, and the fan? Well, one of, the, one of the big things in streaming music right now, obviously, is curation. And how do you, how do you curate great music um, when you have pretty much the entire music catalog of history at your fingertips? And what we really started, set out to do was to actually be streaming the music of live working musicians who are actually out there playing on the road. And that's, I mean, making their bread and butter, essentially. And starting to partner with venues who are actually curating great music. I mean, if an artist is booked as part of a lineup, somebody has listened to that music, has decided that they're worthy of of playing this venue. So if there's particular venues you like or particular, you know, promoters that you work with or festivals, you know, that station of music is going to be already a pre-filtered great experience. And then from there, it actually helps the artist get discovered and it helps 
people actually get to shows they wouldn't have otherwise gone to. So, you know, as far as the case studies we have, we're actually showing a 3 to 5% click-through rate to tickets, and 60% of those people are going to see shows they wouldn't have otherwise gone to because mm-hmm. most people are going to show calendars they go see the band that they've heard of. Whereas if you have a chance to interact with and stream the music ahead of time, you hear something you like and you, you know, the tour date's right in front of you with the ticket link on the app and you're looking and you're like, oh, wow, they're playing Friday. You can send that to a friend, say, let's go to the show. So now you're actually discovering something new as opposed to just seeing the same tired bands you've seen a million times. So. so once you're at the show, are people using the app? Is there a way to use the app within the venue? Yeah, it- we've done um, – you can actually tweet at the band from the app. So uh, we've done things – Devil Makes Three at High Sierra, for example. They, uh, they wanted to do a meet and greet. So they had everybody tweet at them from the audience. And what that does is put a link to their music up on the Twitter feed automatically. So anybody that's outside of the festival – you know, gets to hear the music at that point. And Devil Makes Three now gets to pick based on who tweeted at them. They now have a solid connection via Twitter to everyone, really, that was in the audience who tweeted at them. And they get to pick five or six people to come back and do a meet and greet with them after the show. And that worked really well. It was, it was great because, you know, we had a ton of activity on, the, on their Twitter feed as well as High Sierra, as well as Delhi Radio and... Five people got to be lucky and go back and have a beer with the band. That's so. really cool. And then did they follow up with that on social? Just curious. I mean, did they, you know, afterwards, what was the follow-up by the band by getting all those tweets and, and, and all of that engagement? How did, do you know how they used that or if they did? You know, I'm sure there was a lot more follows that came out of that. Um, honestly, I, I'll ask them when they're uh, playing Hardly yeah. Strictly this weekend. <laughs> <Cool. laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> Anybody else on live music? I mean, yeah. So in soundtracking, it's sort of a more wide area service. So people would uh, soundtrack in a, uh, on the weekend of like a, a, tour, a big artist coming through town. They'd say, oh, I'm excited to you know, go check out this show and hashtag and at mention and all that kind of stuff. And then we'd do that. And then we'd go to the show. And then we would see you know, all this like upfront excitement. And then we were wondering why uh, they weren't like... Some people were posting every song, like a set list, but most people were like taking one or none that were totally excited and like basically soundtracking every single song from the album beforehand. And so what we realized is, you know, a lot of real music fans don't want to have the phone up the whole time, right? <laughs> They've learned to sort of be balanced and respectful of like the vibe, and that's great. Um, and uh, so I started thinking about what, what's cool inside the venue, and I've seen people doing like Vines and Instagram videos, and that's okay. Um, but uh, nothing beats the real thing. But the, uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting, you go into a venue and, you know, half the people there probably paid more to a scalper than they do to the artist. Um, the merch tables usually run out, like, by the time, like, the show's halfway done. Um, you're waiting for, like, 15 minutes at the All bar. All my band shirts are extra small yeah. for that reason. It's, it's kind of like that. So, so I, I, met these, I met these guys. I'm going to give these guys a quick plug, but I'd, I'd love for you guys to check it out and then tweet at me if you guys have any feedback when you use it. Um, it's another company. It's called Will Call. Um, I, uh, I gave them um, uh, some help, and then I joined their board, and, and we're trying to help um, bring this product so that it improves that experience, that live music experience. And the idea is that they curate um, shows uh, they pick shows, they sell the tickets online, very fluid mobile experience. But the interesting thing that they're trying to do, and it's, some of this is live now, 
uh, you, when you go into the concert venue, you can tip the artist. Mm -hmm. So you can just tip them. Your credit card is in the app, so you can just tip them if you like the show. Um, you can buy merch and have it shipped to you instead of you waiting in line and having it run out by the time you get to the front and you've missed three songs. And uh, you can buy drinks off of that, too, if you want, if the bar's willing to do that. So you don't have to, so you can order it and you don't have to wait in line. Um, so uh, they're doing some really cool stuff around um, improving that live music experience. And it's also very social. You can invite people and, uh, to come with you and you can buy tickets on their behalf or they can split it. So it's, um, so I think, you know, live music, there's sort of like, how do we connect live music with, like, virtual listening? But then just in the venue, I think, like, I would love to see something like, I don't know much about Europe, but it sounds like something that I would love to use, which is when I'm leaving, I would love to have a link to go to to listen to music from that artist or all the artists that performed and then related artists and then be able to go listen to that, like, yeah. in, one, in one sort of experience and have a notification come up as I'm leaving or something like that. That would mm -hmm. be fun. There's an, there's, <clears throat> there's an app called Bands in Town that I use a lot, which, you know, I wind up discovering a lot of music and it automatically just goes through my music library on my iPhone. And anytime an artist on my iPhone shows, schedules a concert in town, I get a notification. And I probably 80% of the concerts I've seen in the last year have been through that app, you know, just looking at what's happening in that area. And mm -hmm. uh, interesting. You'd mentioned another app um, in an email to me, Sarah. Um, another company. Uh, Skyflash? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What are they doing? I mean, Skyflash, it's another one of those enhance the experience of, of the artist, in this case, at the venue. We've used it with, our, with the bands I work with. Um, it's basically you text an email address to a phone number in exchange for a free song. It's the same idea as, you know, download for a free or, you know, email for a free song online, except it's actually interactive. We had 400 people at the Great American, and we, um, you know, put up a phone number, text your email address, we'll send you this song we're playing next, basically. And everyone in the audience, we actually had, out of 400 people, we had 100 people text an email address, which I was shocked by. It was, <laughs> I was like, wow, people actually did that. Um, but it's great, because that's 100 more um, emails that we have now that we didn't have before. I think... I think tipping, it's the, it's the same thing. It's a lot, people are inherently lazy, and you're not going to get email addresses unless you pick up that clipboard and you walk around the room with it or you hand it to people. Same thing with the tip jar. If it's up at the front of the stage, nobody's going to touch it, but somebody has to actually pick it up and walk it around the room. Then you're worried about the money getting stolen. So being able to virtually tip, I think, is a great idea for you know venues. I was in Nashville last week at the Five Spot. There was an unbelievable band playing and it was so crowded in there that you could not get to the stage to tip the band and nobody passed the jar so these poor guys who were amazing playing on a Tuesday night in a crowded room probably walked out of there with beer money if that and so the virtual tipping thing I think is a really great you know we, we need to keep these musicians working so <laughs> that's really is anybody else doing that I mean has anybody seen that I mean that's a really interesting somebody in Nashville was telling me about their app doing that I don't remember what it was called, <laughs> but huh, I'm glad to hear that Will Call's doing it because yeah. there was, there was a, uh, they're doing great things. I don't want them to take all the unfair credit. There was, a, there was an app on Facebook that lets you donate money, but I think they got shut down by the powers that be. Huh, interesting. I think there's something wrong with that. All right, before Trey falls asleep, let's talk about retail. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and let's tie it back to the, the, the live music thing. Yeah, Because okay. I want to make a point. What we're seeing in the retail space and the large brands is guys like Macy's and Aeropostale are starting to look at streaming. You know, we did this last year. Uh, I forgot the artist. Times Square, Aeropostale sponsored it, but we you know, live streamed it in their, a couple of their stores. 
and it was a ticketed event only. You signed up. You had to be kind of a brand evangelist for Aeropostel. And I think we're going to see more of that, right? Because the brands have money to spend. They like the halo effect that comes from being part of the, the experience. And so I, I, I see that continuing. So, so just, just so I'm clear, so they, 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 they sponsored a live event, live music event from yep. the band. And it was the only way to see it was to have it live in their store ticketed through a live stream. And you had to download their app and sign up through the app to basically, you know, it was event only. So the mall was closed. So they had kind of the red carpet out. Wow. And you walked in and you had your ticket in the Aeropostel app and it gave you access. And obviously they had, you know, other people there. And, uh, but they had on the digital signs, they basically broadcast. The That's the live. best segue I've ever had. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. So, <laughs> and, now, and now I'm awake, so I feel better. So after, over the last, you know, five years, brands and, lo- and locations have been experimenting with interactive devices as a means to sell more products and build consumer loyalty. Location-based media in the form of digital signage, mobile websites, apps, tablets have been deployed in retailers, restaurants, malls, car dealers, concert venues, and even churches. Um, Companies have also been programming music music to try to encourage certain consumer mind states and behaviors. So while this is going on, showrooming, the act of price-checking online retailers by scanning barcodes at retailer shelves, has emerged as one of the greatest threats to brick and mortar since the advent of online shopping. In fact, 6% of shoppers already admit to price checking with the intent to buy online while at a physical retailer. Is there a way that music can be used to engage consumers in locations, specifically retail locations, to drive behavior? So that's me. That's you, baby. That's me. So, so, yeah, I get asked by you know, retailers all the time, how can we leverage our app to influence the music, right? So we've done the simple things like, you walk in the store, you can, you know, and they have a featured artist, and you can download, you know, the featured artist song and that sort of thing. I think what they're asking today is, I want the user to influence the music overhead, and that's a tough thing to do technically if you're not like a specialty retailer where you tend to have the same demographic. If you're a general retailer like Macy's and Target, like you get all sorts of demographics, and so how do you make it where it? It feels right. You don't want to play Megadeth next to Lady Gaga, next to you know, Justin Bieber. It doesn't feel right. And so that's what we're str- struggling with. It has to be kind of a, a natural experience. And so so if, you, if you curate the library, yep. do you segment, the, do, do you alienate too much of the audience to where then it becomes irrelevant to too large a percentage of the consumer base for that retailer? Yeah, most of the large brands have a custom music program that's kind of tailored to their demographic, and Billy can speak to a lot of that because he does that. So, um, but if you do that to to eliminate Megadeth and Justin Bieber, and you you know you just yeah. want the middle, do you do you run the risk of just making it irrelevant to too many consumers where it's not worth the effort? Or yeah, we, if, and we've done those deployments. The challenge is it's still a little bit of a novelty, right? It turns into a novelty because not everyone's going to download the app and influence the music. You just don't think about it when you walk in the store. Yeah, right? and what's the driver for that? I mean, you're right. there to shop, right? Right, so, you're there to shop. I mean, you know, um, you know, my wife, she talks about. You know, she goes to the store. She doesn't even pay attention to the music sometimes, right? And so it really needs to be more of a, a natural experience. For example, some of the things we've, we're looking at doing, we haven't deployed it yet, is you start to look at who's coming into the store, checking in, and then if it's more male or more 18 to 15, then kind of behind the scenes the music's changing versus making someone opt in and actually vote. Because the people that are checking in are more likely to want to influence the music anyway. Exactly. Interesting. I, there's a, a, just a, a, an anecdote. 
there's a grocery store where I live in San Clemente, Ralph's, um, and this one grocery store has the best music playlist that I've ever heard at any retail location. I mean, it's like, like <clears throat> you'll see like me and a bunch of like moms walking up and down the aisle singing out loud, shopping, and and you know it's weird. And and I've Love noticed, it. I mean, just like old '70s stuff, like you just wouldn't expect to hear like "Afternoon Delight" by the Starland Vocal Band, you know. <clears throat> so, so what did that make you do? It made me sing out loud and stay longer and like enjoy my shopping experience to the point where, you know, I, it, it was just fun. It did just you go like make a playlist out of the songs out of like old time's sake? Did you buy the album? Um, Ralph's karaoke corner? <laughs> <laughs> no, but if we have time afterwards, I do have a funny story about that. So, um, so yeah, so, so it, but it, again, so is there a way for that to drive consumer yeah. behavior? Does it, does it add loyalty? What does it do? Well, what was the... Uh, sorry, what was, the, what was the goal of curating the music? Was it to get them to buy the actual music that you were playing, or was it to like, get them to buy other products and have a good shopping experience overall? Yeah, and, you know, Billy, you can weigh in from a music program perspective, but you know, we build custom programs that really fit the demographic of the brand, right? So Macy's. Got it. We just sit down and we curate their program every month and kind of update it. So it's not necessary to get them to download that music. It's to have the most pleasant shopping experience, and hopefully you'll, you'll buy a lot of stuff when you're there. But what's great about programming the music is you get this feedback from the clients, like Aeropostale, and these great clients that are now really coming into wanting to do a lot more with music. They're starting to see how the music um, is shaping their brand and how uh, one of the meetings I was just at, a pretty large client, two-hour meeting, we did a brainstorming with them, went over the brand, uh, and it was literally like we all learned about the brand. I mean, we asked questions about, you know, what kind of personality is your brand? Are they smart? Are they funny? Are they, are they looking for a, a good deal? And when you do all that, you come up with kind of an outline of what this person might like. And so then we take that and we, we, we program the music. And some, you know, some, some uh, retailers have four hours of music that rotate that same four hours in that order for two months. And they do that because that's what they want their brand to represent. Um, but where it's really going with all this is that location-based stuff where, you know, if you can take that app and you can take the music that you're listening to and you can take your loyalty of your fan base and you can get them in the store and get them hearing something that they're not hearing on the radio, which is what we hear quite a bit. I mean, because my job is to jump in and look at all this music, what I've been doing for 15 years of my life, like listening, 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 and finding the good stuff. And with licensing right now, we don't get all those licenses. So a lot of times I'm looking for those independent bands, those smaller labels that are giving us their music license-free or at a better deal so we can get that music on. Um, so if we can take that great music that's kind of a discoverable um, element for the people coming into the store, the consumers, um, and let them use that information to get coupons and give feedback for the brand. Um, and we even actually did one recently where the customers came into the store and the first 50 people were given a download card um, in a bag of goodies. This download card was, um, you know, up to 100,000 downloads from a band. And so Aeropostale is now getting into this other thing where, like the, like the concert they did and the promotion they did with The Wanted last year, um, the download card they did, they're coming up with a new app. All of these things are, 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 are kind of circling around the most impressive experience for a consumer coming into a store and being targeted in-store and then maybe targeted geographically um, and giving feedback to the brand while getting great deals on the brand. So how do we... How do we move that forward? How, what's the next step? And there's, there's a lot of things coming on the next step. It's RFID. So if you have an RFID in your wallet and you have the app on your phone, maybe the RFID will trigger that you're there. App can launch. You're, you're given a, a coupon and given a chance to um, you know, change the playlist. 
That's just one little piece, and it's going obviously much, much further than that. Imagine if I didn't have to wait in line at Starbucks, and I can walk in, and as I'm walking up, say, okay, I want my pumpkin, you know, whatever. And as I walk in the door, boom, order placed. No line. It's just my order's placed. I walk in the door, and, and my order's paid. placed, and it's paid for, and I'm done. I just, no waiting in line, no paying, no nothing. So those kind of things where we can streamline the experience and get me into the store looking at the paper, maybe communicating with someone else versus waiting in a line for 15 minutes. As I actually drive out of my way to go to another Starbucks because it, it's, it's, it's a one-minute wait versus a 15. So I think, it's, I think there's so many little verticals that are going to happen here and so many you know, sharks swimming and a lot of experimenting going on. So it's, this next three years is going to be awesome. So, so <coughs> when you, when really you, you know, I find it, it's interesting that, that retailers you know, want, seem to want, and I'm surprised by this, frankly, um, seem to want to give consumers, some retailers, control over the playlist or some way to influence the playlist. Influence, influence the playlist, yeah. Influence. Why is that? I mean, what do they, what do they hope to gain by that? Brand engagement, for one. They want to make, I mean, all the retailers are thinking about that, I guess it's the millennial demographic, the 14, the 25-year-old. All of them are waking up every day thinking about those guys. And so they see them with their mobile phones, and they want to engage those guys. Well, it's about data, too. I mean, you're talking, you sit down with the brand, and you talk about what the demographic is. I mean, you want to know what the demographic is. It's it's people's jobs to know that. So if you get a demographic of of kids influencing the music, then you're winning the battle. They're doing the work for you. And it's evolutionary, really. I mean, if you think about it, what we hear from the clients quite a bit is, oh, my God, people are shazamming the music. Like, they don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. They're asking what it is, and it's, who's this band, Miss Mister? So they're listening to it, and they're loving this song. So I think if they're engaged on that point, and they're trying to take information, like the, the, the obvious next step is, how do we get information back from them? It's a real obvious next step. So we, uh, just to back up what you're saying, um, it's int- you're making me think about this, and maybe I should spend more time on it internally, but uh, where we see most of the retail stores and brands like retweet one of our users' posts from soundtracking or something like that is... Um, Someone will go in to a store, take a photo, tag the location at that store or that, that restaurant, and then say, this is an awesome song. I can't believe this is playing at blank place. Mm-hmm. And then that brand or that store, the, you know, they'll retweet that and favorite it and kind of go crazy on social media. And we've been noticing this, and it's because I think that I get the sense anecdotally from our service, and I don't have any like um, statistics to back it up across the entire data set, but I would say that they're looking to just stand out. They want to look like a human brand as opposed to just another restaurant or just another bar, just another store. So whenever, so music to them is a way to do that without having to be a great poet themselves or a great brand strategist or creative director internally, right? So, like, uh, for instance, um, we, we met the Chipotle uh, team because a lot of our users were going to Chipotle and the soundtrack songs are like, and they, basically people were like, what, you know, WTF, <laughs> almost said it out loud. Um, WTF? Um, uh, uh, they're playing really good music at Chipotle. You know, like what's going on? And what uh, we kept seeing that. And I, I, find, I met someone who was involved in the marketing team, and I said, "What's going on there?" And they said, "We actually really care about music." And there's like a music supervisor who, like, and it was like on the hype machine top ten level. Like I was like, "Wow, they're playing some really like cool new, relatively obscure stuff." They weren't playing like. You know, um, like Clear Channel Radio, right? Um, and so um, that's, and, you know, Chipotle started, you know, Chipotle is really good with social media. They started, you know, retweeting and, and doing all that kind of stuff. So it was really interesting to see that 
we've seen people also um, really appreciate, like uh, in San Francisco, if you've ever been to Flower and Water, um, it's a great um, little pizza, uh, nice place. Um, what they do is they, they give you a menu of albums that they're playing that night as well. So they give you a menu for food, and then they give you a menu of albums that are playing. And, and it'll be whole albums. They'll play all the way through. So it's one night um, I went there and it was like, I happened to sit down at the beginning of a Fleetwood Mac album and kind of ended like halfway through a Rolling Stones album. And it was like, it was really nice because I could <laughs> see where we were and we were just sitting there and we're having fun with the music and we're eating, we're talking about the music and, you know, it's, and the guy who picked it, his name is on there. So it was a nice experience and it makes me want to go to Flower and Water because not only because they have great food, but I don't like their lines. I don't like that you can't make a reservation because it's always slammed. But like, it makes me want to go there because I'm having this experience that's different than every other great little thin San Francisco style like hipster pizza, right? It's like something a little bit different. And so I, I, I really feel like what you guys are doing, like that's really interesting because no one's like in that jukebox, that sort of next generation jukebox. I'd, I'd personally love to see that, like just Absolutely. to be able to influence the songs. That was another million dollar segue. Go ahead. Oh, I think Billy's right. I think, you know, you're going to start to see a bunch of stuff this year with retailers experimenting in their anchor and pilot stores. Uh, And I think in the next two or three years, you're going to see a full-scale assault, right? Because the retailers, going back to the showroom concept, they're trying to combat that, right? And so they're spending a ton of money in their stores to try and upgrade it. And so I think you'll see things as they experiment in places like here, San Francisco, New York, where they tend to incubate ideas. Things like Rockbot and other things that we do and other people, you'll see that kind of go to the masses. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so speaking of jukeboxes, um, they've been a fixture in bars since the 1940s. And while today's jukeboxes hardly resemble the classic wood and glass bubblers from Seaburg and Rockola, they still represent a core part of the bar and tavern experience. Today's jukeboxes have incorporated mobile apps to stay relevant, and in many locations, 20 to 30% of the revenue comes from mobile. Um, and one of the reasons the jukeboxes still endure in bars and restaurants is because they take music from a cost to a revenue generator, and bars and restaurants tend to operate on a thin margin. So um, in some cases, bars make three, four, five hundred $500 a month on a jukebox. It's a core piece of their revenue stream. But as patrons get more comfortable using music mobile to control location-based music, it seems that the jukebox itself will continue its slow glide into cultural irrelevance. But as consumer expectations have um, to have control over their media experience, everywhere continue to grow, and the hardware cost of these systems reduces the financial break-even level from thousands to hundreds. And um, a company called Play My Song just is going to release today a, a jukebox that basically is an iPad using a mobile phone, so you can plug an iPad mini into a bar sound system, and people can pe- buy music over the mobile phone. Um, Will we see interactive music in casual dining, retail, live music, coffee shops? Where else are we going to see beyond retail in the restaurant space this happen? And um, I use Starbucks as, as kind of a proxy. They already have free Wi-Fi and a free song of the week download from iTunes. They sell CDs in their stores. They have a, a, a robust music curation department. Is there a compelling reason for, um, for anyone, but especially Starbucks? I'll tee that up here. And I do want to say I invited Adam Brotman to show up, and he politely declined. Um, is there a compelling reason for them not to offer their customers an interactive music experience in-store? For them not to? Yeah. Why don't they? It seems like a no-brainer to me, but then I'm in that business, so I, I tend to be jaded. Well, interactive as in they're picking the music that's playing? Picking the music or influencing the music or, or some... 
I other think than just on, download a song. Depends on where you are. I mean, for example, like you know, you can't you can't give people control in a Starbucks over the music because what if they play Megadeth and then suddenly you've but you don't have the to room. give them that. I mean, the tools are available <laughs> to curate that library. They have their own catalog that they've curated. They have their own music label here, music. Um, so they could easily make available music that they've curated and give people a walled garden from which to select from. I mean, that would be really easy for them to do. And they wouldn't have to worry about licensing because they already own all the, con- you know, they already have their own label. So it's curious to me that if there's a, they seem like they're on the front edge of so many things, but they haven't taken that step. And I would think they'd be the first one. So why not? And I wonder if that gives, would give us some insight into maybe some of the challenges that other retailers and other companies are going to have. I think it goes down to if it's not broken and they've got so many things going on that, um, you know, they can just kind of take a chill pill for a second and see where it's all going. I think the, the, the Starbucks experience is a, is a pretty interesting one and maybe one that I can see on, on a high level and not really wanting to mess with. And having dealt with them back when they first started hearing music when I was at XM, they were very particular about their music. And that's awesome. I mean, that's the way it should be. Yeah. Um, and and there's a lot of people that weren't back then. Um, the, the retail experience wasn't as good as it is today, I don't think. Um, and so I think that's part of it. I mean, if you, if you really have a baby and you want to protect it, then you, then you, you, know, you curate it and do it your way. Um, and giving the reins to people is, is not necessarily the best thing for them. I don't think right now. I think there's probably other ways they can do um, social. Like I said, ordering my drink when I walk in. Uh, well, if which I, if I can doing, do that right? I mean, and I have 15 minutes to listen to the music or yeah. form it, then it's slightly different. But I think they've got to take care of that. How many well, people especially, here? But if you, I mean, if you give people a walled garden, then suddenly they're looking at it and they really want to hear this song and they can't find it in the walled garden. So now you have somebody who's disappointed because they've been given control, but not enough. Hold on, hold on. So, so basically, I can confirm what Billy was saying, that they have a very controlled, they have one person there that does the primary stuff, and um, he likes to take a very tight control of what that is. So. Yeah, don't blame him. I can see some of that happening uh, soon, um, but I think we are still a couple of years away from that. And they're not going to give any sort of influence or control. They're going to, they're gonna, I mean, Starbucks feels very strongly. They are kind of tastemakers. And, and a lot of other brands do. And so I think they, they, they say, let me kind of... Do they, do they program by day part? I mean, is there, is, yes. you know, do they? So there's different music in different day parts. And do most retailers do that? Yeah. Some do. Yeah. Um, out of the ones that I program, most don't. They keep it generic enough um, where that's, that's not needed. But there's like, I think there's one or two clients where um, if it's a spa, they want a little lighter music in the morning and then, you know, can pick up and be a little bit more um, upbeat in the afternoon. But, but most don't. It kind of varies program. by vertical, too. I mean, yeah. vertical in terms of are you a restaurant, are you general retail? I feel like questions. jukebox, like taking the metaphor of jukebox and just kind of transposing it online uh, doesn't work as well for the reasons that you guys are laying out. Every time I've seen it work really well where people are just going, like, right back to it and, like, dropping coins or uh, the other one that's in that. There's, there's some in San Francisco. I forgot the name of the company. But um, I, one of my engineers had, a, had basically a war for like two hours with uh, another person at the bar. She was sitting there. She was just ordering like uh, Three Six Mafia and like a <laughs> bunch of like really big bass hip hop. And it was, he was ordering like Yacht Rock and like they were going at it. And finally he got really like half pissed, half excited and walked over to her, gave her a high five, said, you win. 
and like they exchanged numbers and then like, I don't know what happened after that but <laughs> the, uh, but the, the, the point is is like jukeboxing doesn't work as well for the reasons you guys mentioned because if it's just picking a soundtrack for the brand the brand's like hell no I'm gonna pick the I'm gonna pick that because we're the brand curator whereas if you make it so that people are enjoying you're providing an experience where people are competing flirting uh, showing off um, you know trying to outduel each other on, on mm-hmm. like music and then having a visceral like social experience looking at each other and like being able to talk to each other and laugh that that's really exciting no one's done that and I and I don't even think it's like a, it's not just about brands and retail I think it's like at your home at your dorm at your office like I spend more time in my office than I do at any store so it's like and we sit there on airplay Sonos and we're like in, none of these offer a truly social experience you have to disengage connections and it's like so I feel like what you guys are doing maybe make it not paid as, as, as expensive as it is right now which is like a, a dollar a song um, and then making it so that anyone can set it up like I'd love to set it up right now and then we could all pick so, songs so I, cool. check out Play My Song Play My Song has an app for Spotify where you can actually create um, you can either select a Spotify playlist or you can use your iTunes library and then through a mobile phone, people can check into that jukebox and, um, and play music for free. And, you know, they've had, you know, I know they're based in Europe, but they've had a, a ton of downloads, over a million downloads, I think. And it's kind of a cool social jukebox experience for parties and dorms and, and stuff like that. So I'll see if they want questions. Yeah, so um, somebody, yeah, so, yeah, questions. There we go. Isn't the difference that in retail, like a Starbucks or a fashion store, um, they're creating an environment, and the point of the environment is to get you to the cash register. Um, And if you introduce choice into that environment, you're distracted. Actually, the the, the goal is not to get you to the cash register. It's actually to get you to stay in the store, browse a little longer, pick up more stuff, and then wander to the cash register with your wallet open. That's the the main goal. And And it's really to make you have... Um, a pleasurable experience. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, if you talk to people, like some, some people walk in one store and it's like, well, your music's so loud. Uh, you know, one of the ladies I talked to, um, who's a vice president of a record company, said, I can't go in that store. Yeah. We walk in, we buy one thing, and we get out. The music's too loud. Yeah. Um, that's not one that I program for. Um, but that happens. Is it and Forever so, 21? I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say anything here. <laughs> but it's just, it's just a lot, a lot yeah. more political not to. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's what our goal is. Our goal is to, yeah. you know, right level music, right experience, hitting you right where you want to be, and having you, having you sing along and hum along and pick up stuff in the store. But a bar where choice is still flourishing and choice works, they can count on multiple transactions. Forever 21, you're opening your wallet once. And so why interrupt it? Why interrupt it with music? No, with uh, introducing choice, jukeboxing. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I'm one of those guys where I'm a music programmer. That's what I've done for 15 years. And when I take requests, the requests are very alternate of what I'm programming. And so you get to the point where you're taking a lot of stuff that people are really wanting to hear what they want to hear and not really what's beneficial to what you're trying to do. And so that's a very, very fine line you have to walk. And if a retailer wants to do that, like, like, a, like a McDonald's or a Safeway, or, I mean, you, gotta, you, you then have to curate all your songs to make sure there's no blood. and You have to really think about what you're offering, and then you're really fencing stuff off. So it's a very tricky slope to walk down. Anybody else want to chime in? Help us define the future of location-based music services with your unique insight. Oh, come on. This, can't be, this room can't be that uncreative. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. 
There we go. There's a, micro, there's a microphone coming to you. There we go. You were talking about adding services in venue during concerts and things like that. Um, we got off on retail after. But um, someone said something about um, buying things and um, uh, tipping the band, right? How easy is that to do? Because I'll tell you, for me, once I have to put my fat fingers on my uh, phone and type an email address and a PayPal thing and whatever... I run out of gas, right? So if it's a press one button thing, it's a press one button thing. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's it's about you know, for example, Square. You know, the first time first time we were using Square to sell merch in a venue, people are what you want me to sign with my finger and then you get fingernail. I mean, it just wasn't working. Now you you throw a Square out, everybody's already got their email, their phone number in there. They automatically get a receipt. It's like second nature. It's you know, part of it is just about. You know, you got to educate people and you got to, you know, you got to get the right app or right setup in your phone. But once it's there, it's there. So that's that's exactly right. So you, you're you're creating an account when you use an app, any any app that we're talking about, whether it's will call. It's kind of like, have you used Uber? Yeah. Okay. So do you add in your credit card each time and right. your email? Like, no, it's it's in your settings. So that account, your phone is essentially it doubles as not only a sort of a credit card or some type of sensor-based yep. identification, yep. but it's also um, it has a bunch of commands as part of the, the, the application flow, right? And so uh, once you get the credit card in and then you create a great user experience, then you can do a lot of things. And so for the fat finger, I don't want to be distracted from the show. I want to be present and not distant and aloof. Right. Like this is great because now you're not waiting. You know, it's just it's weird because if you deconstruct the whole thing, it's like that's the biggest thing that I think Live Nation can like fix, which is how much time are you spending looking for tickets? How much time are you spending in line? How much time are you spending in line for that? Coach check here, getting shuffled around, and you end up feeling like an airport, like you're you're part of a cattle run, right? And, and so, you lose the impulse. Which yes, the, something like the joy. The band, There's the joy, band. right? And uh, tipping, buying merch, buying yeah. drinks, all these things. Um, for once, applications can actually make that experience better. <laughs> right, so. um, related to that, though, uh, the other thing that would be interesting in concert would be the equivalent of when the dead used to let me jack into the soundboard and record, right? Uh, I'm dating myself. Um, but, you know, it's ridiculous that I'm holding up my phone and recording a song that someone over here is doing a professional job of. I'd love to just let them say, all right, if you're there, you can... You know, you can hear it again later, or you can download it. I, I know Linkin Park a couple of years ago put all of their live concerts available um, through ticket, and they did it through Ticketmaster, where if you put in, you got a link if you bought a ticket to downloading that concert. Um, I don't know if that's something there's, that's there's happening. There's a lot, a lot of companies that are that are doing that, and it's you know, it, it depends on who the band is and whether that's something that they're. You know, some bands are are more about the live show and the the jam or whatever, and some bands are more about the record. So it just it depends on who the music is. But there's a lot of, I mean, Live Music Archive's been doing it forever. So, any other questions? Right there, yay! Hi. Um, it seems like uh, there might be a synergy um, 
a lot of your apps, um, Delhi Radio, sound tracking, you're collecting a lot of information. You're finding out what's going on in specific neighborhoods, what concerts are selling out, and what's happening. Are you guys sharing that kind of information with retailers and local businesses? Because I think that would help with their programming, get people um, influenced, sound tracking if you know, you know what's happening in a neighborhood, what they're listening to, it might influence a promoter bringing into a, a band into the neighborhood. Um, it seems like there's some top or bottom-up information that can help um, enhance just local-based um, music and, and getting um, listeners involved more um, that way. Yeah, absolutely. We collect data, and I mean, obviously data is king, right? We collect... Um, everybody's listening experience. So, you know, especially with the partnerships we have with venues, I mean, we can, we, we have heat maps of who's listening where and who's clicking on tickets and all of that. And, you know, we can start talking with venues. Well, this band is coming through the U.S. and, you know, the Lumineers signed up for Delhi Radio long before they became the Lumineers. And we watched them become the Lumineers and the heat map of them touring across the country and what was happening as they were touring was phenomenal. We were like, who is this band, <laughs> you know, come six months later and they're huge. But, um, but that's really important, ven- you know, information for the venues, especially, you know, they've got one kind of band that's, that's playing and suddenly uh, they're streaming their venue station. You know, if you go to Yoshi's or Cafe du Nord and you click on the radio, you're now listening to, um, to the upcoming playlist and anybody who's you know people that are excited about this band playing will send them a notification that says this band is playing and here's the venue station and now they are listening to everybody at the venue that's playing and we can start actually helping venues first of all know who to book and second of all um, know who to target once they've booked their calendar we know that based on their their listening over here out of this artist that we that that venue should send them an email about this artist over here because of the correlation in listening audience. Yeah, the uh, we we haven't done much outside of our own feature set for our community with that data. We've started sending out a lot of uh, popularity data to the industry just via email uh, just to see how they kind of react. So we're still kind of figuring out what to do with that. Uh, we have a relationship with Billboard and with Grammys, um, but we still haven't figured out the right way to sort of really get that data out there in a sort of DIY, scalable way. So if you have some ideas, let me know. Um, but I, I can at least add you to what the, the re- weekly email that, um, that our team sends out. The, the thing that we have noticed on trending. So uh, last year, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, we didn't know who they were. They started blowing up in soundtracking big time. Like, and this is like uh, autumn of last year. And um, we were, like, trying to figure out what was, what was going on. And then um, they were big later on, Billboard and Thrift Shop. And um, so we were like, huh, that was interesting. And then we saw um, uh, the same thing with Kanye West's album, but the other way. So it just fell off a cliff after the first two weeks. And then, um, but we saw that fall off a cliff earlier. Um, I actually like that album because um, I like the beat production on it. It was, it was good, but... Uh, I guess our community didn't. Um, the other thing that came up really fast was uh, Lord Royals, that song. It just shot up like um, two months ago in our system. And then, so we have a little bit of a leading indicator happening in our community because our community is still like, these are music lovers. These are people who are self-professed music. So, so that's probably expected to happen. So we're trying to figure out how to, what to do with that. 
And then with uh, cities, we did this whole thing about SF versus LA versus New York, the top 25 on any given day. And it's very different. Like LA is like Maroon 5, Kendrick Lamar, you know, so, and New York is like Jay Z, like uh, Beyonce, Alicia Keys, um, Metallica. Um, weird. Um, <laughs> and then San Francisco was like Lady Gaga, Lumineers. Um, like in, so it's, there's city personalities. So we're trying to figure out what to do with that as well. But that's really interesting because you go to like Mexico City, look at that. Mexico City, I never knew this, but Mexico City is like placebo, the strokes, um, uh, 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 just like any, any band, like the bravery, any band that wears black leather and has long, greasy hair, <laughs> it's like done. So it's just really interesting. We like looked at all the album images. It just happened to show up and we're like, oh my God, they are all wearing leather jackets with big zippers. So it's like that, this is all like great, like emerging data that we're trying to figure out what to do with. But um, I think, you know, that's, that's an area that I think we're all really excited about. So um, LB Kinson tweets, 100 plus people in the check-in and play location-based panel at SF Music Tech, and yet 11 total Foursquare check-ins at SF Music Tech. Uh, is, is there a burnout fatigue mm-hmm. on checking in, and, and how will that potentially impact the ability to really push the envelope on location-based music, or is music a way potentially to refresh check-in fatigue if it exists? <laughs> that, that's a very interesting question, but I mean... I don't want to pull up my phone and go to something to check in. Like, it's just too much. If I, if, if I walked in the door and my, my phone had an RFID chip and it could just, like, say I'm here, that's cool. I could turn that off and, like, the next ten places I go, it'll just check, check, check. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. That's it's interesting. So, so is, is music potentially a way to give people a, more of a reason to check in? I mean, it, it, could it drive that check in if there's more value? I mean, right now the, the check in is purely gamification, an occasional special um, you know, is it possible to use music as a driver to get people to check in more frequently? I think it needs to be more behind the scenes. I mean, I, I think it's just going to be hard, like anything, to get someone to open up their app right as they walk into a, a store and, and check in to get something. I just don't think, even if you get free points for something or a coupon, you know, retail me not, there's lots of apps that, you know, when you walk in the store, you get something, and it still doesn't, you know, move the needle for a retailer. I think people want to be the stars of their own world, and checking in doesn't say anything. There's no information there. You know, okay, I'm here. Great. You know, I think people, the reason people are posting things or tweeting because they're wanting to show their personality. They're putting a video on Facebook because they saw something cool and they want to show everybody they saw something cool. Checking in. So like, if you were okay, to check well, in and request a song. Now everybody knows I'm here, and that person I didn't want to run into is, you know, <laughs> looking for me. You know, it's like. <laughs> All right, we have time for one more question. Or everybody can leave early and run to the bathroom before the line queues up. <laughs> so you talked about the, um, the people or the type of artists who were trending and sort of the uh, personalities of those different locations. But they all seemed like very like, well-funded and like, popular artists. So what are you doing to um, help support, or I guess like, have you seen or help support the up-and-coming artists who aren't necessarily like that well-funded? Um, good question. Uh, first, I disagree that Macklemore and Ryan Lewis were well-funded, um, or Lord, even to be honest. Like in the beginning, like I think she's probably well-funded now, but like she just blew out Fillmore. But um, uh, it's not that we're supporting 
one type of artist or another. It's that our fans use us as an app and a social network and a platform to share who they love. So we are not curating much. I mean, we have a song of the day that we send a push notification out once a day. We pick one song. It's editorial. It's not paid for. We pick it. Um, we ask the artist and the label to give us a full song stream so people can enjoy it in full length. And we send a push notification. You can turn it off if it annoys you. But once a day, you get a push notification about one song that our team thinks, our staff really thinks is awesome. So that's the only thing we do that's sort of managed or promoted or featured. Everything else is by the community. So if you love independent music and the rest of the community and you can rally them, then it's up to you. It's not up to us. Like, we don't want to pick it for you. We want you, the community, to express what they, what they love. And then, you know, if a fire starts, then the fire burns, right? And so we saw, we see that all the time with, like, little, like, I've seen, like, some of our Japanese users, like, blow up, like, some random pop band from Japan. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but it's really popular. And so we'll make note of it. But, again, we're trying to figure out what to do with that. It's, it's. It's like, a, it's like a green field of opportunity, but we haven't figured out exactly what, what the best thing is. That's our wheelhouse. We get the young artists that are working and trying to make a living and get discovered fans. So. All right, cool. So that's we'll work together. <laughs> we are out of time. I want to thank the panel. Give them a hand. Great discussion. If you guys, if you guys their, Twitter, their Twitter handles are all up here on, their, uh, on the placards. If you guys want to keep the conversation going on Twitter, hashtag JukeboxNext. And uh, thanks for coming.